Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Hello everyone, my name is Grace and I'm the community manager here at the StoryCraft Cafe. If you have not already joined us in the cafe, I would like to personally invite you to our community. We have so many awesome things going on this month. We have totally revamped our writing group program to include a writing group marketplace where you can browse open writing groups or decide to create your own. At the beginning of the month, we launched the 500 Club, which is an exclusive accountability group that challenges you to write 500 words a day over a two week or a month long commitment. Finally, this month we launched weekly communal word sprints that are open to all crafters. As of this moment, we have four sprints happening per week and we are ranking out words. If you're interested in joining our community, you can find us online at storycraft.cafe. That's S-T-O-R-Y-C-R-A-F-T dot C-A-F-E. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We're so happy that you decided to join us once again in the StoryCraft Cafe. As usual, we have an excellent interview uh, guest for you today, Lucy Clark drops in to talk all about writing mysteries and the characters that make up those mysteries. Uh, before we get over to Lucy, though, let's hear from William Kent Kruger, who drops by to talk a little bit about establishing a sense of place in your fiction writing and and how places that you love in real life tend to seep into the stories that you tell and can elevate those places. Thanks for joining us again in the StoryCraft Cafe. Be sure to go over to storycraft.cafe and join the conversation. We've got lots of live events going on. We've got a live event coming up next week you don't want to miss. Join in to the conversation. Share some work that you're working on and see how this little community that we've built uh, might help get those creative juices flowing. One of the things uh, that my background has allowed me to do is have an understanding of all kinds of settings. So I spent time in large cities. I spent time in small towns. I spent time on farms. So when I go back to my writing, I have a, this broad experience to draw on when I'm creating a sense of place. My heart, in truth, belongs to the Midwest because I spent my adolescence uh, in uh, small towns and on a couple of farms in Ohio. Um, and, uh, and so I love it when I create a story that has a Midwest setting because I'm really throwing my heart into it. Now, that said, when I finally moved to Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, where I live now and have for the last 35 years or so, um, I fell madly in love with Minnesota and for the first time felt like I had found a place I could call home. So when I write about Minnesota in my Cork O'Connor novels and I write about northern Minnesota, the great, the great North Woods, uh, I'm writing about a place that I have fallen deeply in love with. 
Today, I am super excited to have Lucy Clark on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called One of the Girls. And if you're looking for uh, a little spookiness, uh, shall we say, to go along with your warm, bright summer days, this is the contrast you are looking for uh, this summer reading series. One of the girls, one of the the most fun, twisty thrillers that I've read in a while. I know you're going to love it as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Uh, Lucy, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? I think that for me, it came quite late, actually. I wasn't a child that wrote pages and pages of stories and dreams of being a writer. I actually kept a journal um, throughout my teens and just and loved it. But just and I studied English literature at university, but again, missed missed the signs that writing could be a career. I just thought it was a sort of gateway to other careers, I suppose, um, English literature. And actually, it was when I had some space in my 20s and I went traveling for six months um, and I on that trip, um, I just had a lot of time to read and to write my own travel journal. Um, and it was during that trip that I just remember sitting outside. We were we camped. I was with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and we just kind of camped our way actually coast to coast across America um, and Canada. And um, yeah, and I just knew that when I got home, when I flew home from that trip, um, I didn't want to go back to my job, which was in advertising. And what I had loved most of all about these travels were having the space to write. And I just made the decision then to give it a go. So that was it for me. So Lucy, if you didn't necessarily see yourself as a writer, uh, or you know, couldn't see that potential um, at the time um, when you studied English literature. What what sort of career did you think that you would have with this education? Yeah, I just did English literature because, for the very simple reason, it was a subject at school um, that I was. It was my strongest subject and I enjoyed it. And I thought it's a really broad topic that can take me in any direction. And I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I'd assumed I would run my own business one day because that's what my dad had done. Um, and so when I graduated, I actually started out working in advertising um, for the first few years, thinking that that's sort of, you know, a pathway I'd start there and see what unfolded. And and I just didn't love it. I didn't fall in love with that world, the corporate world at all. Um, and I think one of the wonderful things about having the time to travel was that you break out of your normal routines and the expectations that perhaps you set yourself. There wasn't anyone else heaping pressure on me. It was just myself thinking, oh, yes, I'll have a business, you know, a business career and earn good money. And then I went away and I thought, that doesn't feel quite so important out here. Um, actually, <laughs> what do I really want to do? And then that turned out to be writing. Now, advertising, I find that fascinating. Uh, were you on the creative side or more of the business side? I was side? an account executive. So I was management, really. So manage, okay. So you're the like liaison between your clients and the creative department. Um, and I used to find myself hanging out all the time in the in well, upstairs with the creators and the design team. So obviously there was something happening there that was yeah. pointing towards a more creative line of work. I find that fascinating because advertising, if 
if nothing else, is storytelling. You are mm-hmm. you're creating a story um, about this product or your or service or whatever it is, and you're trying to tell that story to potential customers so that they'll come take advantage of the thing that that yeah. you're trying to. Um, were there anything uh, was there anything in that industry that that piqued your interest that that you could kind of see the foreshadowing of of what you would become? Well, it's a good question because I think there is some synergy between the two careers because ultimately you're connecting, you know, when you write stories, you're you're making a connection with your reader. And when you're working on a brand and advertising for them or dealing with the marketing, you're trying to forge a connection between a potential customer and a brand. And I think working out what your audience wants and how to reach them and how to connect is key in both careers and I would say that I cut my teeth on with that element um, in advertising. So even though it wasn't clear to me at that time, it was something that I enjoyed doing and, of course, enjoy doing now longer term. Lucy, um, I, I've met a, a number of, of mystery writers, thriller writers, crime fiction writers, and invariably they all – end up just being the nicest, sweetest people you can ever meet. And they write some of the 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 most twisty, sometimes horrific things that you've ever written. And I, I always laugh about that because these are the sweetest, nicest, nicest people that that, you know, their imaginations just go in some really interesting places. Um what what was your first uh, encounter with with mysteries or thrillers that really piqued your imagination? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I think when I started writing my debut novel, um, it was called Swimming at Night in the US. And actually in the UK, it was called The Sea Sisters. And it wasn't really, it was at the time where psychological thrillers, which is how I'm sort of positioned now, really were just taking off in quite a big way, certainly in the UK. And I think I was sort of Slightly, I think I'd written a book that was suspense and mystery and emotional mystery. And it's quite difficult to position books like that because there's either the more general women's fiction area or the straight crime thriller area. And sometimes as a writer, you can fall in between the two tables and it's you need to have kind of a clear package to be able to say to readers and booksellers, you know, how to connect with those those people like we were talking about with advertising. So I never saw myself to begin with as a writer of thrillers. Um, I was just writing the type of books that I wanted to read, which were ones that focused on people doing the sorts of things I was doing that were traveling, but that had a really kind of suspenseful hook in them. So I became over time, I'd say quite gradually when I am now. So one of the girls is my seventh um, psychological thriller. And I think over that journey, my books have perhaps become darker because I've really enjoyed tapping into that suspenseful thriller element. Um, but it almost in a way has happened very naturally and wasn't where I started, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, there's been a really interesting thing that's happened in suspense thrillers, especially and in, in, you know, a lot of the subgenres, the domestic suspense and the um, romantic suspense and, and things like that, where um, – a, a lot of earlier um, 
traditional mysteries, you might see, um, especially the female roles being um, a, a, a lot of times um, you have these. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm trying to to find the words to describe what I'm trying to say. Um, a, a lot of times there would be female roles that were very stereotypical the the weak mm-hmm. woman the 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 woman who needs to be rescued um and in especially the last decade or so uh there's been an interesting twist where um a lot of times um the the antagonist um it mm-hmm. is a woman and and sometimes that you you're it's a whole different um power structure, if you will. Um, have you, since, you know, kind of being in this space, have you noticed a, a change in the way that we see stereotypical characters and stories? Mm, I think it's a really, um, it's a really positive change because you're absolutely right that the, the role of women in thrillers particularly was that panicked woman who was being hunted or chased or, you know, thinking that she was losing her mind because things weren't happening as uh, as she was being told they were. And so I love this change of women having more varied roles. And of course, you still have those roles too, because that's life, isn't it? And we're all mixed. Right. But I think it just feels a much more interesting time to be reading thrillers because we've got some brilliantly strong women um leading the charge and 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 so we should and i love it so it's really fabulous when you read books with with interesting uh female leads sure so lucy you said you were doing some traveling of your own and realized uh that you enjoyed keeping a travelogue of sort uh, a, yeah. a diary of your uh, exploits um how do you transition from there to writing the Sea Sisters, what what changed that kind of opened up this new story for you? Well, when I got back from this trip, I was away for six months, and when I got back, I um, decided to yeah write my first novel, um, which is always a you know it's quite a, a nerve wracking um, prospect, and I didn't have any formal training because my English literature degree had no creative writing element. Um, so I just got to to my local library and took out all the books they had on the shelves about how to write a novel, and I read them all. I uh, read lots of other novels in the type of area that I thought I wanted to write in, and I would read with a pen in my hand, sort of underlining things I thought were interesting or trying to analyze the structure or why they use certain points of view. And I suppose I just sort of taught myself what I believe to be, you know, the way to write a book. Um, And with that novel, I managed to find an agent. And um, but unfortunately, I had a great agent who I'm still with now, but she never sold. She never managed to sell that first novel. Um, And I remember thinking at the time it was just such a hard kick because, you know, uh, as I'm sure people listening know, it can be very hard to get a literary agent. So when you've got one, you feel like this is it. I am, you know, this is a great step. I'm getting closer. And and I did loads of work on that book and, you know, lots of edits that she had suggested. And anyway, we didn't find a home for it. And I yeah, was incredibly disappointed. I'd spent two and a half years writing the book. Um, I had a second job at the time as I needed to, you know, earn money like everyone else. So 
I asked her, you know, what do I do here? And she said, you know, you just take a deep breath now and you write your next one, <laughs> um, which of course is, you know, easier said than done. But that is what I did. And to go back to part of your question about the travel journal, um, I actually went back to the journal I'd kept when I was away on that six month trip. And I thought, do you know what? There's something in the very act of having a travel journal that is quite fascinating to me. Um, I love the fact that they speak of a travel journal, speaks of all the places that you've been. You've got the sand in the, you know, the spine of it itself, the smears of sun cream or bits that you've, I don't know, a coaster that you've kept from a bar you visited. Um, and I started thinking, what if someone's travel journal was found, but they were dead? And what would it reveal about the manner of their death and the weeks leading up to it? And that was the starting point for the Sea Sisters or Swimming at Night, as it's called in the US. So it's it's funny when, you know, you look back at decisions you've made and things that you've done and how it all filters in in some way to to where you are now. I always find that really interesting. I, I know that it had to be very discouraging Uh to not sell that first novel that you invested two and a half years into. Um, but I know there's a lot of people listening who are are thankful that you didn't sell that book because they're like, yes, you know, someone <laughs> else has, has had the same experience that I've had. Um, That's you know, there, there's, that is, that is more the rule than the exception. I, I think a lot of times we, we invest so much into this story idea that just doesn't pan out for whatever reason. And you just have to go do it again. And I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know of a lot of creative pursuits that, that come down to a high stakes gamble like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, well, I just have to start over from scratch from nothing and do it all over again. And maybe that one will, will sell. Um, that's such a huge leap. Um, you know, being seven novels later, do you look back at that original manuscript, the one that didn't sell? And can you see from the vantage point where you are now, why that book didn't sell? Can you see the problems with it? Or was it just a story that just never fully came into its own? I think it wasn't good enough. And I read it or reread it two years ago and I could see it was good enough to hook an agent and it was good enough. I could have got lucky and got a deal with it. And I came very close, actually. I had two publishers that took it to their acquisitions meeting. So it was very, very touch and go. But now with the beauty of hindsight, I look back and think, I'm so pleased that that didn't get published because it could have done. It was borderline. And I'm sure with a good editor as well, it would have I would have improved it further and it would have been good enough for publication. But actually, it never had the hook to go on to be a strong enough book to launch me. And I think when you're a debut novelist, you it's very hard to break into you know, you get your book deal, but it's still incredibly hard to make a dent in in the sort of readership because there's so many people doing it and it's just hard to reach people. And I think to go out with a book that was pretty good, but not amazing, would have done me no favours. Um, and definitely The Sea Sisters was a much stronger book. And it meant that over here in the UK, we have a big book club called the Richard and Judy Book Club. And it was selected 
to be part of that book club and it just really launched my career for me and it may it also meant I got a lot of international um deals and I just the other the original idea just didn't have the yeah it didn't have the right flavor to sell internationally so it's nice now to look back and know that happened for a reason but of course in the middle of the rejections and having to write the next one thinking is it going to happen all over again it doesn't feel doesn't feel great and that's where you need to kind of just dig deep really and and just stay committed to what the goal is which is doing something hopefully that you love without necessarily seeing the end game as the be all and end all but enjoying where you can the process of it right I love your story, Lucy, of uh, of how you learned to write and by going to the library and, and getting books and just kind of kind of deconstructing stories mm. that were published. Um, and, and maybe this is an unfair question to ask because because that is how you did it. And, and, and you didn't study creative writing uh, in school per se, um, but you did study English literature and you, you obviously were immersed in stories uh, in, in various aspects. Um, but are, are you glad that's the, the education that you got kind of the, the taking stories, deconstructing them, seeing what worked as opposed to more of an academic uh, you know, someone lecturing, this is how stories work. Do, do you think it's better to to find stories that are working, that are out in the world, that are connecting with people and finding out, you know, what it was that made those tick? Yeah, I think that for me, the learning from home myself, just as you say, by deconstructing what I was reading and being inquisitive ultimately, um, it suited me. It suited me at that time because I didn't have the money to pay for a course. And it suited me because I is a really an apprenticeship um, of my own making, I suppose. But I also think there's such merit in creative writing courses and some there's some wonderful MAs that just have bred so many fantastic writers. Um, so I think both approaches can really work and it's it's really fitting it to what stage you're at what options you have open to you I'm actually a perpetual learner so the fact that I taught myself isn't doesn't really fit with my personality because I love learning things I love I'll sign up for any class I, I absolutely love it and I think now had I had the money I probably would have hopped straight in on a creative writing um <laughs> MA uh, so I I think there's so much merit in it but yes I even now I will routinely read and reread books on how to write novels when I'm reading other and actually more recently um I've had a my third novel, The Blue, is in production with Paramount Plus and it's um, being made into a seven-part series. And I've been really interested, having been part of the scripting process, to read books on how to write screenplays because that there's such a broad crossover. Um, right. And I just, yeah, I, I still read with a pen in my hand when I'm reading other people's novels. So I don't, I'm one of those people that friends will say, oh, what books, you know, do you recommend? And I'll always have a list of them. And they'll say, oh, can I borrow them? And and I'm that <laughs> awful person that says, well, either you can, but they're written or, you know, I've written all over them, or you can't because I need to go back to them for reference and see what I've underlined and why. <laughs> Um, Lucy, after your book, The Sea Sisters, um, 
your next book, A Single Breath, um, I love to ask people about this point in their author journey because there, there's a thing that happens with your first book, and and I like to call it the gift of anonymity. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're writing that first book or you have written it. And um, you're you're trying to find a place for it out in the world, and you've got your family and close friends who who maybe know that you've written this book and, and you're trying to sell it. And in your case, you had a literary agent, um, so you, you've got a handful of people that that are on your side and you know um, rooting for you and, and wanting to to know the news of what's next. But the wider reading world in general doesn't know who Lucy Clark is and and is not a fan um you know that they're not against you but but they don't know to expect anything from you and and so you have this this interesting point in your career where it's just the freedom of creating and uh you know and then all the the behind the scenes work of of getting the book out there but no one's expecting anything mm-hmm. from you but then the second book comes along. You know, you you've got the Sea Sisters out there. It's finding an audience. People are, are are you know learning to love who you are as an author, and you know start having this these expectations in their mind of what's Lucy's next book going to be like, and and what's the journey she's going to take us on with that. Um, so then that second book, A Single Breath, is it comes out in a very different atmosphere than that first book did. Um, yes. what, what was that experience like for you? I think where I was perhaps fortunate with a single breath in the writing process was that I sold the Sea Sisters um, all over the world, or my agent uh, did. And luckily for me, they didn't, it wasn't published anywhere for over a year after I sold it. So there was a really long lead time. So I actually had a solid 12 months to start writing book two before I had any expectations from readers, certainly, um, about what I was going to produce. And so I felt like with that book, I had, again, a fairly free run of writing what I wanted to um, before I got input. Because now, of course, like I'm on book seven and I've read all of my reviews and I know what readers like and what they expect and what I'm associated with and what publishers, uh, how they are sort of positioning me to, to, to build a brand effectively. So you definitely have a lot more expectation on you. And I think it's a, it can be both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, and the, for me, the positive is that is that I now have a much clearer sense of my own voice as a writer. I know what I enjoy writing. Um, I always stay very firm to that. So I won't be swayed by market trends or other people's opinions, but I am much clearer in knowing the elements of a book that I love writing. Um, the, The disadvantage, of course, is that you have lots and lots of other voices in your head whilst you're writing, um, you know, a thousand, uh, critics basically um sort of giving you their opinion and it it can just be quite hard sometimes to close those down and find quiet because it's all a confidence game writing and I know when I'm drafting a, a manuscript I will be 
Some days I could read the same chapters and think they're brilliant if my mood is up and other days I can read those chapters and think it's awful and I need to start again and it's just working out like, hold on, what's the real, what's the real opinion here and what's just, you know, confidence um, having too much of a role in, in this discussion with myself. So I think that carries on, you know, through the second book and beyond actually the expectations. So then you 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 come to book seven and it's time to start creating what will become one of the girls. Mm-hmm. And at the you know, when when that cycle of the previous book is over, um, the great equalizer uh, for every new book project, no matter how successful the author is is the blank page you know there comes a point where it's time to start a new book and you have nothing it's just it's just you and you know a a brand new word processor file or or whatever it is when you first start thinking about a new book um i'm i'm fascinated with with the moment of inspiration you know at one moment in time one of the girls does not exist in in any form or fashion in in any way that it just doesn't exist and then you start maybe playing the what if game and mm-hmm. maybe there's a news article or a, a, something that you've watched um, on television or, or seen online or or maybe, um, you know, this uh, a scenario comes to mind and you start casting it with with characters that you make up in your mind or what it, whatever, you know, whatever that first moment is. And then then one of the girls does exist and it's your job as the author to kind of dig down and excavate that thing and, and pull it out of the ground and polish it off. And, and then a book is, is born. Um, what is that first moment of inspiration like for you? The first moment is different for me with each of my books. And I typically have for every book that I write, I'm, I will usually submit to my publisher and agent, a sort of a4 sheet with six ideas on between sort of five and six ideas and they'll just be a couple of sentences each excuse me no more than just a hook and how those ideas might come about um can be in any any way at all and I have a envelope at home um it's just a big envelope and anytime I have a idea I scribble it down on a you know post-it note an index card a scrap of paper whatever and it gets posted into this envelope Um, And then when I'm finished working on whatever book I, you know, have been busily, uh, you know, on deadline with, I'll then go to the envelope and and look through and see out of the ideas I scribbled down, what chimes, what still resonates, what am I interested in exploring further? Um, And from there, I'll sort of work them up into you know, very short sort of premise effectively, which I will then share with my publisher and agent, as mentioned. Um, For one of the girls, the the starting point was incredibly simple for me. It was just, I was very interested in setting something on a hen weekend, which here, that's the English term for it, but I think it's a bachelorette party in the US. Um, And why that interested me is because I have been on lots of hen weekends, hen parties, and um, I find them they're somewhere between joyful and horrendous, depending on whose it is, because you're mixed together with a group of women who some you may know, some 
you've never met in your life. You could be very different. You might have different ideas about how you what a good weekend entails. Um, and particularly when you go away somewhere, you've got that added pressure of you being sort of trapped with a group of people that you may might not ordinarily be uh, spend time with who you also perhaps don't know the bulk of them very well and I just thought that was quite fertile grounds for exploring um, character work and potentially thriller elements so that was all I had as a starting point um, and actually very unusually for me so that was that was it that was the hook not much to it I just thought I'm going to put a group of women on a hen weekend and know that by the end of that weekend one of them will die that was you know the the starting point that was where I believed the novel was going when we went into um the our first lockdown in the pandemic um I had just given in a draft of my sixth novel The Castaways and I thought okay normally takes my editors two three weeks to get back to me with their feedback so I'm just going to explore this idea a bit further. Excuse me. And I actually just um, spent two days planning the novel and I worked out where the hem weekend would take place. And I thought about these female characters very briefly, who they would be. And I set them off on on this weekend together. Um, And I didn't know who was going to be the killer or who would die. I didn't have any of that mapped out. I just knew it would be... In, on a Greek island in a beautiful villa overlooking a private cove um, and yes 48 hours of planning and then I began writing and I had a really for me incredible incredibly unusual writing process because normally I will plan things out and I might spend a couple of months doing that but with one of the girls I decided to be character led and just start writing in multiple viewpoints from each of the six women vantage point and see what story unfolded and um and I think perhaps because we were in lockdown and I came off social media I stopped watching the news I basically disconnected from the world and was simply at home with my family um I had like a really intensely creative time and I wrote the entire draft first draft of that novel in 17 days um, whereas a typical first draft might take me six to eight months. So wow. it was just for me really different and really exciting. It was the most butterflies in my stomach, like akin to sort of falling in love feeling I can describe. And it was, you know, those moments in, of, of heightened creativity come with every book, but I usually very fleeting, you know, I might have a you know, half a day here or nothing for like another month and then just a couple of hours while it feels beautiful. But with one of the girls, it was just like 17 days of just sheer like propulsive joy with my writing. And I felt so privileged to have that experience because I've not had it before. And I'm not sure if I'll have it again. I think it was just a moment in time and a and a book that just it lent itself to to coming out in in that way so yeah if that was for me how the germ of the idea came and how it sort of then then seeded very quickly forming good writing habits is uh is so important um you know if you're a professional a professional writer you need to be able to sit down and write 500 a thousand words two thousand words a day at you no matter what the circumstances are you you need to know 
how to be a professional at it. And and a lot of people figure when they start a new book, okay, if I'm going to get a thousand words a day and this book is going to be 80, 90,000 words, then a first draft should take me, you know, three months and, and then I'll take a couple of weeks off and then I'll start the, the revising process. And then maybe a couple of months after that. And, you know, you kind of start thinking about the, the life of a book before you turn it into your editor's maybe five or six months long. And then, you know, another couple of months of uh, revisions with an editor and, and, you know, the, and you start kind of forming what would be a typical book cycle in your mind. What, what you never can, can account for is these moments of just inspiration that take over. Like you said, 17 days is amazing and it absolutely can happen when the story is, is ripe for telling that did it feel like you just, you know, had a tiger by the tail and you were along for the ride? Absolutely. And I, and it's annoying to say that because I've heard, I love hearing other writers talk about process. And I thought that when writers said, you know, they, they step into their characters' voices and the story writes themselves. I felt like it was an incredibly pretentious thing to say, and I had certainly never experienced it. Um, and so I feel like, you know, embarrassed to even say that that is actually true and that can happen. Um, and it did happen. And I have since tried to recreate the conditions of lockdown and uh, that's 17 days um, for the book that I'm working on now. But unfortunately, it hasn't um, it hasn't unfolded <laughs> in quite the magical way it did during those 17 days. So um, I think it, it I think there's definitely um a lot of magic involved in this process and and you can't always ah you know you can't always plan everything because like you say inspiration can come and go and i'm also a firm believer despite having that wonderful uh period of creativity and productivity i am also believe very strongly that you get to your desk and you show up every day whether you feel it right. or not and that is what I do. I get up at six every day. I write in the mornings and my my working day finishes. I have two young children and I pick them up from school at three. So that's my uh, creative day. And I some days that's massively productive and other days it's it's completely dead. Um, but I'm there at my desk and showing up. And that's kind of the best that you can do, I think. I'm glad you brought up uh, a little bit ago the the um, the fact that the book is written from multiple viewpoints uh, because that um, that story structure that you came up with really adds to the the mystery and the um, the the sort of um, the the feeling that as a reader you get that that you really have no idea um, who who I should be rooting for, who who I should be um, cautiously watching, um, you know, because we're getting inside the thoughts and feelings of, of a number of characters. Um, you, as you start kind of getting into these characters and you know that the story has to go somewhere and you know that it's ultimately coming to a point where some bad stuff is going to happen. Do, do you, do you ever feel like you get too close to a character to turn them into um, someone that could do dastardly things. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you get to a point sometimes where, you know, you've had a perhaps a thought like, oh, this character is going to be the, the killer. And then you fall in love with them and you think, well, 
now, yes, they can be, you know, a difficult person and they're complex and I could see their motivation for killing someone, but you, you like them too much to give them that fate or you understand their vulnerabilities too much. Um, so I absolutely had that during the writing of one of the girls, um, my sort of idea of who would end up being killed I know obviously can't give anything away, but but changed um, very dramatically for me because I like the character too much to kill her off. So that does happen. And then that is when you have to listen closely to your character voices and, and see where they're leading the story, which perhaps wasn't in the original direction that you may have assumed. And and I, I think you're absolutely right. The the. Um the unsettled nature of, of the story is what really drives it forward. Um, one of the girls is, and, and I feel like we, we can't talk about the story anymore. Lucy, we're going to give it away. Um, I just have to tell everyone, go out and grab it. It's available everywhere today. We're going to have links in the show notes where you can get it in, in Kindle edition or, you know, get the, hold the paper in your hand from Amazon, uh, or, Go visit your local bookstore. Um, it's available everywhere today. One of the girls I, I must have uh, for the summer reading season. Um, Lucy, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, where can they connect with you online? I'm on Instagram um, as Lucy Clark author and Facebook and Twitter. Um, and also I have a website. So you can find my emails through that as well. If anyone wants to email rather than social media. So um, yeah, I love hearing from readers. So please do come and say hello. I'd love that. Excellent. We'll be sure to put a link there to make it easy for folks to find you. Lucy, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Hank. <laughs>